0: Confession time. How many of you this year felt the urge to decorate for Christmas a little bit earlier or a little bit more than you normally would? You don't have to raise your hands. We all know who you are. But I've never heard so many people talk about looking forward to decorating for Christmas or talking about it in November, saying unapologetically, we're decorating earlier, we're putting up the lights. Part of that was the weather this year that we took advantage of the warmer days in November. But all around, in my circles of influence at least, I've heard people talk about the urge and the drive to decorate for Christmas just a little bit earlier and putting on the Christmas songs just a little bit earlier than we normally would. In our family, we typically decorate for Christmas the weekend after Thanksgiving, whether Friday, Saturday, or Sunday of that weekend, whatever it looks like, depending on what we're doing. And this year was no exception that we still decorated the weekend after Thanksgiving, even though we'd been talking about it since October. And thinking about where the tree was going to go, and this is our first Christmas in a new house, and I'll tell you, when we finally had the tree set up, when we finally had all the decorations up, I took a deep breath and let out a deep sigh, and I'll tell you, it finally felt like home once the tree was set up. Once all the decorations were set up, that's when I thought, now it's gone from being a house to being a home. And apparently, I'm not the only one who's noticed this. This has been reported on by media outlets across the nation in Charlotte, in Denver, in Washington, in New York City that this year people have been decorating more for Christmas. And decorating earlier as kind of a, a pushback on the pandemic, a pushback on 2020. 2020, you've taken so much from us. We're keeping this. You're not going to take this from us. If it's been such a dark year, we're going to let our lights shine just a little bit brighter. And so across our neighborhoods, people have been setting up maybe even a little bit more lights and started decorating those a little bit earlier than nor- they normally would. This year, we want to this this morning we want to play a little clip from you from a nostalgic movie. There is. Uh, This is a season for listening to to old songs we've listened to for years and watching movies that we've watched year after year after year. And it's a time for nostalgia in a lot of ways. And we want to play a little clip from you from maybe a movie that you don't know. Uh, This is a, a, a clip featuring Western New York's own Lucille Ball of I Love Lucy fame. For all you young people, if you don't know who Lucille Ball is, just Google Lucille Ball and the Chocolate Factory. That'll give you everything you need to know. But Lucille Ball is from Jamestown, New York, right here in Western New York. And in 1974, late in her career... Uh, she was a part of a feature production called Meme, which had been a Broadway show. And there's this little song that happens right at the heart of the of the, the movie. And we just want to share this with you this morning. Take a look. Fall out the holly Put up the tree before my spirit falls again Fill up the stockings We may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now for we need a little christmas right this very minute candles in the window carol at the spinet. yes we need a little christmas right this very minute it hasn't snowed a single flurry but santa dear we're in a hurry so that may be an unfamiliar song to you, that, that movie may be unfamiliar to you, but uh, you can tell it's late in Lucille Ball's career because she's got all those years of smoking have caught up with her voice. It's not quite as, it's a little bit lower register than it was earlier in her career, but she's singing in the play to her nephew And it's all about the Christmas creep. The Christmas creep is this sensation of speeding up the celebration of Christmas, celebrating a little bit sooner, uh, getting the ads out in the stores just a little bit sooner. There are two types of people in the world, those who walk into Lowe's in early October and see the Christmas decorations and say, deck the halls, and those who say, bah humbug. And the Christmas creep is what gets those decorations up a little bit earlier every year, gets them out in late September and early October. Believe it or not, there was a time when you didn't see any Christmas decorations, didn't hear talk about it in November, but now that has crept all the way up. And we all have that one family member who is the Christmas creep in our house, who loves to to celebrate a little bit sooner, who's playing... Uh, their favorite Christmas songs in August and plays them all year round. I may or may not be the person in my house who plays Christmas music all year round. I can neither confirm that nor deny it. But what she's talking about in that song to her nephew is that sensation of, of celebrating Christmas just a little bit sooner. Well, we're in the third week of our series, Advent series, The Weary World Rejoices. And today we're gonna look at the first person who was ever in a hurry to celebrate Christmas. In Matthew's gospel, there is one person who tells the others who are there with him in this particular scene, rush ahead, and as soon as you find the child, come back and tell me so I can celebrate too. It's a beautiful sentiment. It could be in a Christmas card. You could put this in your Christmas cards to your loved ones. Go ahead, and when you, as soon as you find the child, come back and find me. And so we're going to look at this person and why they were in such a rush to celebrate Christmas and what it means for us as we celebrate Christmas in a year like 2020. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to have it up on the screen. You're welcome to turn along or uh, pull up on a device if you'd like. I'd just like to pray for us before we jump in. Lord, we thank you for your word and for this chance to be together. We pray for uh, our our church gathered and scattered throughout Western New York and beyond. And we pray thou as we turn to your word, you would speak to us by your spirit. We pray all this in the matchless name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Matthew chapter two, beginning verse one, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, "'Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "'Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? "'We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. "'When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, "'and all Jerusalem with him. "'And when he had called together all the people's chief priests "'and teachers of the law, "'he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. "'In Bethlehem in Judea,' they replied. "'For this was what the prophet has written. "'But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, "'are by no means least among the rulers of Judah.' For out of you will come a ruler who will, be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Unfortunately, the first person who was in a rush to celebrate Christmas was insincere about it. He, was, uh, he had ulterior motives, clearly. And the first person to be in a rush to celebrate Christmas was Herod. N.T. Wright has said that many people who've gone to the Holy Land, who've gone to Israel and the surrounding area, have come back complaining that they went to the Holy Land to learn about Jesus and ended up learning more about Herod. So why is Herod such a big deal? And Herod's the first one we're going to look at this week. We have looked at Mary, we looked at Joseph, and we're going to look at Herod this morning. Why is Herod such a big deal? Why is it that people who go to the Holy Land learn so much about Herod when they have really gone to learn about Jesus? Well, there's three things I want to share with you about background this morning as we start our study of Herod. The first is that Herod was the king of the Jews. It's interesting that when the wise men came and they said, we have come because we saw the star of the newborn king of the Jews and we've come to seek him, that the first person who was ever told that title for Jesus, that he was the king of the Jews, was the person who was actually the king of the Jews at this very moment. If you had asked anybody at the time of Jesus' birth, who is the king of the Jews, the answer would have been emphatic and uniform across the board. The king of the Jews was Herod, Herod the Great. He was appointed... By the Romans to serve in that area, he had no ancestral right. He had no genetical line that had put him in this position. It was a utilitarian purpose to have him there. And so anybody who was born king of the Jews would have been a natural rival and a threat to Herod. And that was bad news. Second thing about Herod is that Herod had built his own mountain. I think we even have a picture of it up here, of Herod's mountain, which is called Herodium. And Herod's Mountain was this mountain fortress that was built as a way of kind of imposing his presence on the region there, as a way of ensuring his safety. And this mountain still stands to this day. You can still go and see this mountain standing there, Herodium as they call it. And interestingly enough, you can see Bethlehem from Herodium. And you can see Herodium from Bethlehem. In fact, at every manger scene, we have the infant Jesus We have Mary, we have Joseph, we have the wise men, we have some cattle maybe. And I think in the background of every manger scene, every Advent scene we put together, we should also have a mountain looming in the background. Because Jesus was literally born in the shadow of Herod's mountain. Which speaks to this third point, that Herod was a menace. The Bible says that Herod was disturbed at this news about the the newborn king of the Jews and all Jerusalem with with him. And with good reason. When Herod was twitchy, everybody got nervous. When Herod couldn't sleep at night, nobody could sleep at night. When Herod was upset about something, everybody quaked in their boots. Herod was a menace. There's a story that goes around about Herod that he had had a number of people arrested, prominent people arrested late in his life. And with, with the orders given that they were to be executed at the time of his death to ensure that there would be mourning throughout the land. Thankfully, the people who were tasked with carrying out that mission didn't carry out the mission but that's the kind of person Herod was. Herod had his favorite wife executed, which tells you something about that he had a favorite wife. That tells you enough on its own about Herod, but he had his favorite wife executed, a couple of his sons and his favorite wife's mother all executed. He was a tyrant. He was a menace. Professor Richard Middleton says about Herod that there's a big push these days to keep Christ in Christmas, and, he, and that's admirable and that's noteworthy. We need to push back against the commercialism and the sentimentalism that, that's so pervasive around Christmas in this season. But he says, we also need to keep Herod in Christmas. We've kind of pulled Herod out of Christmas and we need to keep Herod in Christmas because it it helps to protect us against this over-sentimentalized sense that Jesus was really born on a silent night. As he says, on the contrary, Jesus slept at all, if he slept at all, in the midst of great danger and death. It's difficult to sleep when you're a refugee fleeing for your life. It's difficult to sleep with Herod around. He says, we need to keep Herod in Christmas, because it reminds us that Jesus was not born on a silent night. He was born in the middle of great turmoil. He was born in the shadow of Herod's mountain. And when Herod was upset, nobody could sleep at night. And Matthew shares one more little detail that helps to just reinforce the kind of terrible person and the menace that Herod was. In verse 16, the Magi were told to come back and report to him. They didn't, they were on to him. It says in verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years uh, years older and younger in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's a wicked, awful scene. This king eradicating infanticide, killing every boy under the age of two, all because he's jealous, all because he's paranoid. And there have been a lot of scholars who've tried to to redeem this some way or another to to bring some kind of fruit out of this in the scripture so that this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But the problem was, this was just another day at the office for Herod. This was nothing out of the ordinary. This was just another day for Herod and that's why he had to go. This is the kind of man that he was. As Stanley Hauerwas says, Jesus is born into a world in which children are killed and continue to be killed to protect the power of tyrants. And so there is this dark shadow cast over the Christ of Jesus uh, the, the, the the day of Jesus birth. When we talk about the Christmas creep, we're talking about accelerating the celebration of Christmas, but the original Christmas creep was a person. Herod was the original Christmas creep. And so it's important for us to keep Herod in Christmas. What does it look like for us to keep Herod in Christmas? I heard a story earlier in the pandemic about a mother whose little girl came up to her and said, Mom, did grown-ups ever cry? And she stopped what she was doing, set aside what she was doing. She got down and said, oh my goodness, honey, yes. Yes, grown-ups cry. Yes, when when we're sad, when we're we're worried, when we're scared, when we're overwhelmed, yes, grown-ups cry. And it's important, you know, apparently this little girl had never experienced that and had never seen... Grown-ups crying, maybe grown-ups had gone to the other room to cry. So this mother assured her, yes, absolutely, honey, grown-ups cry. And then her daughter said, "Did grown-ups ever pee? <laughs> it's, a lot of grown-ups have cried in 2020. A lot of grown-ups have, have had our hearts torn up in 2020. We've lost a lot. Some of us have lost loved ones. One of, some of us have lost things that were very important to us. Some of us have lost the routines that were a part of our lives that we didn't realize how much they meant to us until they were gone. And there's a missionary who wrote about this who who earlier in the pandemic over the summer uh, said, you know, what what a lot of people are experiencing today in, in 2020 is what missionaries experience every year. He said, when you leave home and go to a a different country, leave, leave North America to go to another continent and become a part of that culture, at first it's a lot of fun. At first it's really exciting. You get to experience new foods and new smells and a new culture. You're trying to learn how to communicate in that language. And it's a lot of fun. It's refreshing and exciting. But there comes a tipping point where it's just exhausting, he says, we, we have all these autopilots that are just a part of our daily decisions, things that you don't even have to think about. You get in your car and you drive to work, and you, for a lot of us, it's just autopilot. Some of us need to think a little bit more about our commute to work, but that's a different sermon for a different time. But all those autopilots are taken away, he said, when you move to another country, when you move to another continent, when you become a missionary and go someplace else, all those autopilots are taken away. And he said, It's exhausting that the decision making process when it's autopilot stuff, like reaching for the spoon, going grocery shopping, ordering off the menu, those things are autopilot decisions and it doesn't require a lot of energy. But when all those autopilots get taken away, there's a lot of science behind it, and I won't bore you with all the science, but it involves glucose and, and just the, the mental exhaustion of making all those decisions all day long, of having to decide four times a year if you're going to send your kids to school, of having to decide as pastors, are we meeting this week, are we not meeting this week, and, and what's Christmas Eve look like? Things that would have been decided a long time ago, and we're having to make those decisions all over and over again. And he said, living through a pandemic is as exhausting as moving to another country. And he said, what we're experiencing is culture shock. And culture shock is exhausting. And so one of the reasons why we keep Herod Christmas is not to rush past that. It's to acknowledge the exhaustion, to acknowledge how tired we are, how much we've lost, the grieving we have, and to not move past that, but to acknowledge that that's part of what Jesus came into too. So how does Jesus birth acknowledged Herod what is what is God's answer to Herod well I'll tell you to be very honest the way God addresses Herod is not the way that I would have chosen to address Herod look at verse 13 it says an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream get up he said take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him so he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod and so it was fulfilled that the Lord said to the prophet, Out of Egypt, I called my son. Wait, what? That's the plan? Run and hide? The God of the universe, the birth of the Christ, the one foretold for ages, he is born, he is here. If there is ever a time for an army of angels, it's right now. Run and hide? That's the best we can do, God? If the the Bible was a a choose-your-own-adventure book, this would be a great time for one of those. Remember choose-your-own-adventure books, those books where you're reading along and you get to page nine and it says, if you think that Susie should join the soccer team, turn to the next page. If you think she should join the field hockey team, turn to page 12. Or if you think that you want to eat the cookies even though your mother told you not to, go ahead and turn to the next page. If you want to listen to your mother and remember that those are for guests and they're going to ruin your dinner and because you savor your own life, you value your own sweet life, turn to page 54. That's what a choose-your-own-adventure book is. And if the Bible is a choose-your-own-adventure book, at this point in the story, I would just love it if the Bible's options were, if you think that Joseph should run and hide with the baby, turn to the next page, but if you think that Joseph should summon all of his carpenter friends, and if he should go out and find the shepherds and draw in the magi and go knock on doors and form a little militia and go knock on Herodium's door and tell Herod what for, and it's going to be awesome, that would be a great ending to this story. But God has other ideas. And it turns out that's actually part of God's pattern. We see a pattern throughout scripture and throughout history where God lives out this pattern and it actually comes out in a few Jewish festivals too. But this pattern is God's people are in danger, God intervenes, and God's people celebrate. God's people are in danger. God intervenes usually in ways that nobody would have predicted, nobody would have chosen. And God's people throw a party. And there are three Jewish festivals, two of which you're definitely familiar with, one that maybe you're less familiar with, where we see this pattern being replayed. And the first of these is Hanukkah, or sorry, Passover. Passover is, is a festival that Jesus celebrated with the disciples. This is, goes back to the Exodus when uh, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt and Pharaoh was oppressing them. For, For centuries, they cried out to God for release. For centuries, they cried out, God, would you deliver us? And God delivered them through this humble servant named Moses who had grown up in Egypt and came back and delivered the people. It was totally unexpected. And the people celebrate every year. Every year, they celebrate this unexpected delivery of God through Moses and Aaron where he led them out of slavery in Egypt. And every year, they celebrate. Even Jesus celebrated Passover as a way of remembering that Pharaoh wasn't too much for God to handle. Second is Hanukkah, which is actually being celebrated by the Jewish people right now. And Hanukkah comes from this season. It's not part of our Bibles, but there's this period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And and the Apocrypha is is a series of books that came out during that time. Some Christians believe that that's a part of Holy Scripture. We don't believe that that's part of Holy Scripture. But the story that goes into Hanukkah comes from that set of books, the Apocrypha. And in in the story of Hanukkah, there was a man named Antiochus who rose up and was trying to outlaw Judaism, make it illegal to worship the Jewish God. And he was making all the Jews worship the Greek gods. And there was a group of ragtag rebels who weren't going to have it. And they were called the Maccabees. And the Maccabees rose up and God used them and some miraculous oil that wouldn't run out to drive out Antiochus. And God delivered the people in a way that was totally unexpected. Nobody could have anticipated it. And they still celebrated it Right now, the fact that God's people were in trouble, God intervened, and now they're throwing a party to celebrate. Them. The third one is a, a Jewish festival you probably haven't heard of. It's called Purim. Purim is the most fun of these three Jewish festivals. This comes from the Old Testament book of Esther. In the Old Testament book of Esther, there's a man named Haman who once again was trying to eradicate the Jews. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, comes up and he, he recognizes what's about to happen. And so Esther, a, a young woman who rises up for just such a time as this, ends up turning the whole thing on its, on its head. God shows favor to her. At the end, Haman is dead. The Jews are alive. Esther is elevated. And they throw this incredible party. It's like a carnival festival. It's like, it's, it's like nothing you've ever seen. Parades and costumes and floats and everything. It's the best of all the parties that they throw. And they celebrate that to remember that Haman wasn't too much for God to handle. Every year, people around the world celebrate Passover and Hanukkah and Purim as ways of remembering that God's people have been in trouble in the past. God intervened, and God's people celebrate They throw a party. as a way of remembering this, that even when you're in the first part of those two, that maybe God's people are in trouble again, we remember, hey, God has showed up before. God has intervened. We're going to throw a party now to celebrate. And part of why we celebrate Christmas is to remember that Herod wasn't too much for God to handle. And we see this played out in verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. On the surface, it looks like they just hid out long enough to wait out Herod. But this was God's plan to take out Herod. When the Magi came and they shared the news with with Herod, it looks like they ruined everything. But actually, they were putting Herod on notice. Your days are numbered. A new king has been born. You are finished. And in short order, Herod was dead. And Jesus was alive. And that's why we keep Herod in Christmas. Because we see this pattern replayed once again. God's people are in trouble. God intervenes. And we throw a party to celebrate it. My point here today is a very simple one. To view your Christmas celebrations this year not as a distraction, not as a diversion, not as a distraction from the more serious things of life, not as a way of putting all those serious things on hold and doing this party thing as a way of kind of coping with this year. But no, to view your celebrations this year as the answer to a year like 2020. To view your celebrations this year in the festivities and all the trimmings and trappings, not as a distraction or as as a diversion, but as a way of remembering that God has a proven track record and Pharaoh wasn't too much for God, Antiochus wasn't too much for God, Haman wasn't too much for God, Herod Herod wasn't too much for God, and 2020 isn't too much for God either. In other words, haul out the holly put up the tree before my spirits fall again. Fill up the stockings. I don't even care if I'm rushing things. Deck the halls again now because we need a little Christmas right now. In the course of history, Christians have faced plagues and persecution. We face persecution from the outside and corruption from the inside. And there have been times throughout history when people thought, this is it. This is gonna be the time that the cut goes too deep. This is gonna be the time when the blow is too hard and the church surely won't be able to bounce back this time. Even Christians at different times in history thought, I don't know if we can recover from this. But God's answer to Herod was a baby floating down the Nile and people are still celebrating. God's answer to Antiochus was a ragtag group of rebels and some oil that wouldn't run out and people of God are still celebrating. God's answer to Haman was a little girl named Esther for such a time as this and the people of God are still celebrating. When racism had boiled over in our nation at a, at a fevered pitch, God, part of God's answer at that time was a Sunday school teacher named Rosa Parks who took a ride on a bus. And the people of God are still celebrating. And Herod, when he was in this reign of terror, God's answer was a little baby born in a manger who slipped through his fingers despite all of his efforts, despite all of his power. That little baby slipped through his fingers because Herod was not too much for God. There has never been a plague or a crisis or an emergency that caught God off guard. There has never been something that God said, oh, I don't know if I can handle this or not. And 2020 is not beyond God's grasp. 2020, God can't handle this. When wicked men flourish, when there's been a cancer diagnosis, when there's been a pandemic, When you're a widow or an orphan, when your heart has been broken, when the world seems to be falling apart at your feet, when the world is weary, when the world is full of despair, short on hope, and long in suffering, that's when we need a little Christmas. But not in a sentimentalized, hallmark kind of way, in a Christ has come and is putting all kinds of evil on notice, that their days are numbered, because his kingdom is everlasting and shall never end. Herod's kingdom will topple, Herod's mountain will fall, but Christ's kingdom has no end, as Revelation chapter 11 says says the the, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Amen and amen. When we celebrate Christmas and put Herod back in Christmas we're acknowledging that even in the hardest years of our lives even when everything just kind of stinks. Christmas isn't a diversion. It's not a distraction. It's a way of saying, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. I've, see, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'm going to see you do it again. So, how can you live this out? Real simple. Throw the party, people. Throw the party. And I want to encourage you in three particular areas. The decorations, the food, and the music. This may not seem super spiritual, but hang with me for a minute. First of these is the decorations. Many, a lot of people decorate. Just yesterday, a neighbor across the street of mine put up this beautiful white-colored uh, green wreath with all white lights and it's just beautiful. We all kind of stood and took notice, which just gorgeous. And this year, many of us have set up the decorations a little bit more, a little bit earlier than we would have. Keep going. Maybe tonight, you know, it's a late kickoff of the Bills game, you can go out early this evening after it's dark and just take in the lights. There are a lot of people in our neighborhoods that have spent some time and spa- spent some time driving around and just noticing the lights and soaking it all in and sit by your Christmas tree, friends. Sit by your Christmas tree and light it up. Take time to maybe it's getting a new ornament this year, making a, a handmade ornament that kind of represents 20, what this year has been to you that you can remember in years to come. God brought us through that. He can bring us through whatever else comes in the future. So first is the decorations. The second is the food. Part of any good celebration is the food. And maybe this year, the thing you need most is some Christmas cookies or some eggnog or some figgy pudding, whatever in the world that is. But to enjoy those foods, not in an indulgent kind of way, not in a way that you're going overboard, but just enjoy making a cup of hot chocolate, sitting by the fire and soaking it up as a way of spreading some Christmas cheer. And the last one is the music. You know, in the week after Thanksgiving, one of the music streaming services found that people were streaming Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas a million times a day. That song got streamed a million times a day in that week after Christmas, almost double what it had been streamed two years ago, the same time period. And you know, even if you're one of those bah humbug people, this afternoon on your drive home, find a station that's playing Christmas music or pull up a Christmas album or listen to Joy to the World or Oh Holy Night or Sleigh Ride. If you can listen to Sleigh Ride without smiling, I don't know what's wrong with you. But some of that music just seeps into your soul and let the music be a part of your celebration. Now, maybe it's letting the the lights stay up. We set up our lights a little bit earlier, a lot of us this year. Maybe we leave them up a little bit longer too. Maybe we have an extra cup of hot chocolate or an extra glass of eggnog or an extra cookie as a way of remembering, bringing a little bit of sweetness into our lives. And we play the music just a little bit louder. That may not sound super spiritually. We generally, as Christians, especially Christians like us, we tend not to think of celebration as being something that's very spiritual. We tend to think that growing closer to God means being you know, doing things that are uncomfortable. Growing closer to God means doing things that, that maybe are out of our comfort zone, means doing things that uh, stretch us or, or are uncomfortable, giving up things that we joy, enjoy, not leaning towards the things that we enjoy. But sometimes growing closer to God means joy, means leaning into the joy, hunting for the joy. As C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. And my friends, listen, listen, you all need a little Christmas right now. That song from Lucille Ball, it's, it's always struck me as a little bit corny. Uh, it's a little sappy. And it's been covered by a lot of different people, pentatonics and Johnny Mathis and, and Glee, a lot of different groups have covered it. And usually it sounds like so sweet, you could almost get diabetes from it. And, uh, and it's a little too peppy, too peppy. But Lucille Ball's version is different when Lucille Ball sings the song, she's actually telling a story. And that song in in the the movie or the musical Mame comes at a point uh, about midway through the movie. The opening scene of Mame is uh, a little boy named Patrick, her nephew, sitting in a lawyer's office, looking scared and sad and confused. And he's sitting in a lawyer's office because his father just died. And they're in the lawyer's office. They're reading through his father's will and deciding who's gonna have custody of him. And he finds out he has one living relative in the world, his Auntie Mame, whom he's never met. And so in short order, he gets rushed off to Auntie Mame's house and she's gonna have uh, authority over his affairs and she's gonna become his guardian. And uh, Auntie Mame, let me just say, she's living a pre-Christian life at this point in her world, uh, living a very opulent, luxurious life. She has lots of means. She has lots of friends. And when this little nephew shows up at her house, her house is full of people and they're throwing a great party. And it's a major disruption to Mame's life to have Patrick brought into her life, but she's she's just smitten by him and and he becomes her world. And and so she wraps her arms around him and and this poor little orphan boy is suddenly in the care of her, of his aunt. Well then, not too long after, Mame gets custody of little Patrick, this poor helpless little boy. Uh, This movie is set in the 1920s and then the stock market crashes and the Great Depression begins and Mame loses everything. She loses everything. She's able to find some work, but then she, loses. she finds another job and then she loses it. And after several rounds of unemployment, she's desperate and the movie hits this lowest of the low points. And there is Mame and the nanny and, and Patrick, the nephew. And at this very low point, we, the lowest point in the whole show, Mame says, I am not gonna let the depression depress us. And she starts singing, haul out the holly." put up the tree before my spirits fall again fill up the stockings I may be rushing things but deck the halls again now because we need a little Christmas and they celebrate Christmas in November and it's the turning point what was the lowest point of the story becomes the turning point in the story when they celebrated Christmas and maybe maybe some Christmas celebration is the turning point you need to we have lived 2020 in the shadow of Herod's Mountain So, enjoy the decorations. Enjoy the food. Play the songs a little bit louder. We need a little Christmas now. Oh Lord, would you help us to experience that thrill of hope? Would you help us to experience the joy of the Lord? Would you help us to savor the little delights in these days? Would you move the mountains? that are blocking the view would you move in our hearts and as we sing a little louder as we raise our hallelujah as we sing our testimony that we believe you're going to move again as we adore you with all of our hearts with all of our soul with all of our minds and with all of our strength may that hope and joy reverberate through our communities you are our joy you are our strength you are our hope We proclaim this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.